Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Which is, you'll see in a moment, how do you even select your missionaries? I'm going to give you that list today because when you get a missionary, you want to pray for them, you want to come alongside them, you want to love on them, but you also want to support them. But who do we support? We'll talk about that in a moment. Number two. Why should you give to the local church? Because qualified, trained, approved leaders coordinate the finances. Qualified, trained, and approved leaders are going to coordinate the finances. Now, that all builds upon ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, which means, okay, who is qualified to be a leader of the church that is entrusted with your finances? And are they trained so that they're not, not just qualified? Okay, they don't uh, you know, smoke and chew and go with girls will do kind of thing. It's not just that but they're trained in how to ascertain the needs of people and how to properly use the money and how to balance it out to a greater vision. Are they trained? And have they been properly approved so that they may have all of this, but the people don't know them, so how can they trust them? You can't trust someone unless you know them, and you're asking the people to trust them with their money that they've worked hard for, especially retirees who are living on Social Security, and you're saying they ought to be able to give, and they should but they ought to be able to give to some people that they can trust that their little bit of eek money that they want to give to the Lord is going to be wisely used. Now, we can't know everything. It may not always be used the way we exactly want it to, and that's where faith comes in. But those kinds of people need to be in office. And so here, we want to train our men to be the kind of spiritual leaders that can be able to handle the leadership of the church because they know that you're going to be giving them tens of thousands of dollars, and as the church grows, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars and maybe millions of dollars To be able to accomplish what? Bringing glory to the Lord, but through the resourcing of the people that are doing it and taking care of the needy that will always be with us. So you have to have the right kind of people to do that. Now that in itself is another sermon. So you have to see how when we talk about money in the Bible, it's tied to everything. Money is from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, the third reason you give to the local church is that the disbursements of funds is diversified to provide for evangelism, discipleship, and ministries of mercy. In other words, when the uh, leaders of your church, the elders, receive your money, they may commission a team to do some evaluations, evaluative studies, and surveys, and needs, which are not inappropriate, but ultimately the buck stops with the leaders. I will be giving you verses in a moment. And so it comes to them. Now, when they get that, it's not just so they go out and buy a new car, or get a better office for themselves, or, or fund their friends. It's so that in their mind, they're realizing this money is to be used to evangelize, to disciple, as well as to take care of those that have special needs, so that ultimately evangelism and discipleship are taking place. And it's in the context of families and little ones that are born and things like that. But all of it is for a bigger person purpose, so that they have this, you give it to them, so they can carefully and prayerfully, with knowledge, because when they've taken on that role, I am an elder, They have said, I am willing to say no to a lot of other things that other people can do that I now will not have time for. But that's okay, because I see my calling as a high holy calling. All right, number four, because some of you might say, ooh, the money goes to evangelism, discipleship, ministries of mercy. I didn't hear anything about worship in there. Well, here we go to number four. Worship and giving are synonymous. But I really feel that when we're giving to evangelism and discipleship, what will sustain our evangelism and discipleship will be, here it is, authentic worship. 
if I really love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, and mind, and strength, if I really love him, that's my worship, it's going to make me want to love others. And to love others, I'm going to see them as just, I just love my neighbor. No, I love my neighbor, and what needs does he have? What can I do to help them? And so all of a sudden, my money comes with that, but that's tied because of my worship with him. So I'm giving, and I'm governed by my giving, by my worship with him. So when you drop your money here, we don't ever take an offering here. We never take an offering at this church. Taking means we want your money, okay? We may, but we don't take it, all right? We receive what you're giving. And what you're giving is another form of your worship. When our dear brother Gordon prayed this morning for the offering here, and, and people, well, we leave our, our, our buckets in the back. That's great if that's the way you want to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a sign of, I don't want the, the, the new people to think we're, all we do is talk about money. I, I understand. Or we want to do it more privately. We want the right hand to know what the left hand is doing, all that. I, I get all of that. But also, don't criticize those who say, no, we would like to publicly pr- provide this. I don't sing with my mouth closed. I sing with it open. I do it because I love the Lord. And what I give, I don't give it to be seen of men. Will I be seen of men? Sure. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. What's wrong is if I'm doing it so that you will see me, drop that money in. So this is my form of worship. And now together we're doing this. So that's just as right as the other ways. So there's no one right way. As long as you know whichever way you do it, please do it as your your worship to the Lord. As much as you would your singing and praising and all of that. All right, number five, we give to the local church because we, and I'm going to be selfish here, we, the, the members, we receive personal, spiritual, and eternal benefits from the various ministries, ministers, and I didn't have a better word for this, maybe you come up with one, email it to me, but facilities. I am glad I live in, a, in an area where my church is air-conditioned when it's in the summer here in Florida. If you agree with that, say amen. All right, so yeah, I guess maybe we should shut the air-conditioning off. We'd save an awful lot of money and give it to more poor, poor people. But on the other hand, the world that comes into our church that we're trying to reach, they expect this kind of stuff. And so for them, it's more of a gift, and I get a chance to enjoy it with them, all right? You get my point, all right? So I thank the Lord for the ministries that we have. I thank the Lord for the ministers that minister to my wife and to me. And I thank the Lord for these, the campus that we have in which to worship the Lord and learn and to serve in here and all of that. So what I'm doing now is I'm receiving. When you give, you're getting this back. Now, listen carefully. If, if at times... Um, you go to a restaurant, and you eat that food, and it's pretty good food. Pick out whatever restaurant you like. And at the end of the day, you say, I really enjoy this food. But you go next door because you feel sorry for that restaurant, and you give them all the money. If everybody had that attitude, what would happen to your restaurant? What would happen to your meal? Would you then go over there to the other place? There are people who do that. You know, they give all their money away. We don't have much here, but they got a better thing over there. They got a better building, more music. They got better sound, better seats, better preacher, better fill in the blank. And we run right over there. When, if we took this restaurant and did what we could to make it a wonderful house of food and feeding, how many more people would come? And it goes back under the umbrella of sound doctrine, clarity of gospel, all that. So I'm not in competition. But we want to make sure that we're doing what we can here for us to grow so we can become strong to help reach others. So let me give you another reason, number six. It provides a place for personal involvement with our investment. 
when I give other places, I don't always see where my money goes. That's where there's a big leap of faith when I do that. And I'll talk about that with missions in a moment. I'll give you my thoughts on that. But for right now, I know that when my money goes here, and I know, and they're receiving this, I know the kind of people that are wrestling through the budget, praying over the budget, talking to our ministry leaders, trying to figure out how we did last year, what we're going to have to trust the Lord for next year. And by the way, guess we are not going to hell in a handbasket financially here. We're not wealthy. We're, 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 we've got a big faith stretch step. We got all that, but we're all right. Okay. Now that being said, when I see all of this going on and how this is coming in, now it gives us an opportunity to personally involve. When I give, I watch our young people. Those of you that are listening on, on, on this on tape or CD or whatever, and you didn't see this, but we had a, a battery of young people that were standing up here, all different shapes and sizes. Wouldn't you agree? This morning, we honored our, our military, past, present, maybe even future. When they stood up here and from one end to the other, and they did their little hand over the heart, and they began to quote the Pledge of Allegiance one phrase at a time, as each phrase then was articulately given to us so we could understand what it meant. Then they were all up here. I don't know if I was crying more than I was seated next to my sweet wife because of the, the country in which we live or the pledge and the people who made the pledge or the days gone by when I did it a, as a high school kid when I rolled my eyes doing it. You know, you guys were there, you know. But I think at the end of all of that, I was watching those young people. They're a product of their parenting. They're a product of our youth group leaders. They're a product of you giving so the youth have some bit of money to go do something. And we don't even pay a youth leader. In fact, I think they pay us to be the youth leaders. You know what I mean? And you know what I'm saying. You've been working at it. And so when I give to my church right here, I'm watching it being used up close, personal. I, knew, I, I see the isms and the spasms. I see the praises and the, and the burdens all together. And then I sit back and I watch the blessing of God. And so that's why I want to give to this church. Here's number seven. We have a quick access to those accountable for the use of the funds, and we see firsthand the results of our investment. Now, I don't know that we would see that in a huge megachurch. Not, that's not a criticism of them. It's just an, an analyzation. I think you could agree with that. But in a church our size, which medium-sized church here, you know, I know if they're going to be wasting the money. I know if uh, they're, they're, they're taking the kids in a beautiful Greyhound bus to go down the road to McDonald's. You know, I, I'd see that, right? We don't see that here. But we have greater accountability of how that money is being spent. And those of you who are guests, I want to say something. I've never seen a more frugal group of people that are here. Shutting lights out, picking up the paper when they need to, making sure the air conditioners are off when they need to be off. These are people that are very careful because they see that every penny is something that God gave to them through a person who hardly had it to give. And they're going to squeeze that little buffalo nickel till the buffalo hollers to make sure it goes as far as it can. And we have accountability here. And I'm so glad the double wave, who counts the money, what we're watching, how it's done, it's done in a great way. So I believe we should give to our local church. I'm going to leave that alone for a second. It's on the stove, but I need to go to another pot on the stove. Let's go to number two. To our local church, we also need to give to ministries and individuals, preferably through the local church. Why? I gave my reasons earlier, all right? But now let me go a little bit further. I want to unpack a, pa- a number of scriptures in the book of Acts. 
what you need to know in, in, in knowing Scripture, there's what we call progressive revelation. Progressive revelation doesn't mean that something changes theologically in the Bible. It doesn't start here and through progressive revelation by the time you get to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it completely nullifies all what was already said. Now, all it is, it's like, look up here if you can. You can't see this if you're listening, but pretend I have a little rose up here. It was a rose in Genesis. It'll be a rose in Revelation. The only difference through progressive Revelation, watch my fingers now, that represents the rose. It's a bud in Genesis, but it opens up into beautiful petals, and the aroma gets stronger and stronger and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter all throughout Scripture, so it's all the same. So with that basic concept, I want you to see again how the giving to poor people began at, at Acts chapter 2 and then how it happened a little bit later in Acts as the Spirit was moving, as people were learning and growing, as the church was developing from its infancy to maybe its uh, childhood level. And today we're, we're probably old and gray-headed, but let's go back to this. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, to ministries and individuals through the local church. I'm going to just read and commentate on a few things. It says, And all those in the Bible days, first church, who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all. It wasn't communism. Nobody made them do that. It was like, we love the Lord, we love others, and because we love others, they have a need. We're going to do what we can so that nobody has an unrealistic, unmet, basic need of life. Let's go on. As anyone might have need, not everyone who had a need, but anyone who might have a need. If they had a need, it was met. Now, here's my point in this. It was people giving directly to people. Why? Because there was no uh, structure within the church for leadership yet or for full accountability, but there were plenty of needs. So it was recorded that these people just launched into doing things because in their heart they said, we don't want anyone to suffer. And I wish I had all, all day today to tell you what was the condition of the church, the, the first church at the very beginning of the church. Okay, it, it wasn't filled with a bunch of mature people like that's in here right now. It was filled with a bunch of ragamuffin people that were just, just kind of getting saved and coming out of a wicked lifestyle or a religious lifestyle and trying to figure out life. They had no or very few mentors before them, no models, and here they are. But in their heart, they says, we got poor people. We got to take care of them. They're our brothers and sisters. I love that. Can you tell? All right. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. It's now opening. The, the, the rosebud's coming open. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them, now it steps it up, and brings the proceeds of the sales and lays them where? At the apostles' feet. Why? Because the apostles were poor and they're asking for money so they can have a better jet to fly around the Middle East? No, it wasn't that at all. Notice the rest of the verse. It says, so that they would be, uh, they would be distributed to each as any had a need. So the apostles were kind of like the big big men on campus. These were the guys that hung around Jesus a lot, okay? So they really had a lot of stuff, a bigger backstory, we'll say. So now as they're coming more on the scene, the people realize there still needs, but now they're giving it to the apostles for perhaps a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more discernment. Maybe, and I'm, I'm don't go to don't go haywire on your theology because it doesn't say in scripture. But maybe when they started giving it chapter 2, they, did, they had the right heart, but it was all getting goofed up because people who didn't have a need got, a, got it. And lots of confusion was going on. So the apostles stepped in, hmm, yes, and began to kind of settle the flock by saying, this is how we're going to do it. Let's be able to do it from our perspective. Not that they were better people. They were just a little bit more mature. Maturity comes with age and walking with the Lord and the fruit of the, and the Spirit in, in you to do this. So they were a little bit further down on, on the road. But now let's go a little bit further. We go to Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Longer story, 
And it goes like this. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would be certainly a great famine all over the world. And of course, you know what that would be if there's a tremendous famine. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. It kind of lets you know when history this happened. So check your history books. This really did happen. It's not a made-up story. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, so any of the, now we're talking more than just saved people. These are those that are now wanting to learn about the Lord. They're more committed to the Lord. If any of those, not all of them, but if any of them had means, if any of them had an ability to give, had something to share, each of them that had those means to do this, they determined to send a contribution for the relief of other believers. That's another whole message, not to the lost, but to other believers. But you know that lost and believers both had needs, but they only gave it to the brethren living in Judea. And then it says, as this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul. Now, why those two? One, because they're already traveling. Number two, they've already traveled before. Uh, in addition to all of that, they were pretty much respected by those who knew, knew them. So these were kind of like the big men on campus. But then that money was given to those guys, but those guys then took those means, the contribution, and they gave them to whom? The elders. The elders where? Probably the elders in Antioch, because that's where the main problem was. So now what you see is they collected the money from the people who had the money to give, generally the more mature ones that had it and already managed their money well. They gave it to two other guys that were well-respected to then give it to the elders who really had a handle on what was going on in their area. So again, you're seeing first we give it to everybody, then we give it to the big guys, and now we're going to give it to the elders who really are there all the time. So it wasn't like it's us for no more shut the door. The people of Jerusalem also said, watch this now, we care for the needs of others other places. That could be our missionaries. First of all, my question is, is while they're suffering in the jungle or maybe the jungle of, of an urban area, are their needs met? Do they have power in their house if they need power? It is, have we resourced them enough so that they're not personally suffering while we go to bed in an air-conditioned home? So they're strong socially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, but not to make them have a better time thinking that in a third world country they're on vacation in an exotic land. They're there to reach those lost people with the gospel. So we resource them. Now stay with me. I, I know this is a little longer message today because it's my last one. I promise to get you out of here by the time Awana starts tonight. All right, back over this now. That's why you have to then also validate the kind of missionaries that are going to get your money. Okay, we'll talk about that in just a second. So again, the whole point is, is everybody has to go through a vetting process. We give our money generously. We're going to talk about that in a second too. But the point is, is that we're giving it to the leaders who've done their homework about the people who we've done homework with to be able to do what we believe as a church should be done. And what we believe as a church should be done is what the Bible tells it should be done. So we're all in this thing together and nobody has a need that has a need that's out there. We are in it with them in the jungle. We just happen to drive on pavement. That's what I'm saying. Okay, let's go on a little bit more here because we talked a little bit about um, individuals. I do want us to remember that we'll always have the poor with us. Proverbs 19.17 says, One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. I'll never forget, I was a young buck guy in Bible college, and I want to welcome, we have some folks here that are looking at today's service to see if they want to go to Florida Bible College. And in spite of today's service, I hope you still go to Florida Bible College. <laughs> All right, back to this. Um, 
Listen carefully. She, she, she spoke in chapel. She was a Florida Bible College grad. She was Japanese. And she was going back to her country. And this was back in the 70s. A lot of unrest in America with Vietnam War and all of that. And she went there and she came back. And um, she, she, was, she, she said, I don't have very much. But even in my own needs as a missionary, she says, I give to the Lord. I give and I give to people who have a particular need because in my mind, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm putting it into my, my bank account in the sky. And then when I have a need, I can just go to, go, go to the Lord and then withdraw that when I have a need. I'll never forget Tamako. She's in heaven now. Had a great missionary among the Japanese, among her own people, which is another good thing to do. But she had it right. I will give knowing that I'm actually putting money ahead. And that if I need it, I can go to the banker, God, and he'll take care of me. She didn't die a starving saint. She didn't die a wealthy saint. She died a fulfilled saint. All right, what you've all been waiting for, my guidelines for selecting what ministries to support. I don't know if you have been. So let me qualify before I go over this list. This list has served Carol and me for the last 48 and a half years of our marriage. And even before then, when we were kind of engaged and, you know, engaged to be engaged and all that kind of ooey-gooey stuff you do before you get engaged. We, we set out a plan of how we would give our money. I will, not, I will also say in Scripture, when you're selecting ministries and missionaries and churches and all, there is not a very clear, there's not the book of giving in the Bible. You're not going to find that. But I tried to take all of Scripture and all the biblical principles that I studied at the time and shaped and honed over the years, and I've come up with this. I am not preaching you to do what Stan and Carol does, but I am letting you to see a little window into our little private life of how do we give. And so here it is. We have two phases. It's a vetting process we go through before we give our money. We're very careful to who we give to, and it's not because we're stingy, greedy. It's not, listen carefully. It's not because we're totally controlling, although we are a little bit. We believe that God gave us this money, and I'm going to not only have an account of how I spend it, on what kind of food I buy or car I buy, I have to make sure I, I, I run through it, but even I'm going to have to give an account to whom I gave it, why I gave it, how much I gave or didn't give. I'm going to give an account of all of that. So because of all that, that account is not just, did I give any money? No, that's not enough. It's did I give it to the right people for the right reason? Were they properly qualified? Will this fit into your ultimate plan? Now, will all of this work 100% of the time? I don't know because I'm not omniscient. There is a faith level, so here it is. Phase number one. I ask this question. Are they biblically based? In other words, do I know that that is a biblically sound organization? Have I read their doctrinal statement? Do I know in some measure that they're living it out while they communicate a clear and correct gospel message? So I am not just going to give it to any missionary. And sometimes I, I, I grieve when I give it to a pot that people then decide on, on my money than to give it away to missionaries that I'm not certainly certain that they have a clear gospel presentation. But I can't always control that because if I don't give to the pot, then the ones that do won't get it and the ones that shouldn't get it, get it. I, I can't stop all of that. So that's where, listen to that's why I have to have confidence in the spiritual leadership that they are evaluating the people we give money to. They're not just because they came in our, they, they grew up in our church, they're my good buddy, they got a good life, they're suffering a little bit. It, it's a lot more than that when I give. Next, do they have godly and passionate leadership over the ministry? Godly is one thing, but passionately may be missing. They're godly, 
but they're just trying to keep an organization alive. They're godly, but they have nowhere else to go. They should retire, but they're not really retiring, and they need the money, can't find anybody else, so they stay in the... You know, so I want them to be godly, I want them, but there's a lot of passionate guys. Man, they're so passionate for the Lord. And then they go out smoking and joking with their buds afterwards. We don't want that either. So I look at that. Is it led by, and are these missionaries the best I can? I'm not God, I can't judge, I'm not, not criticizing, I'm not, not condemning, but it, am I seeing some godliness and passion in there? Number three, do they have a focused mission? Are they all over the map? They're trying to find themselves. They're chasing every little dream that they might have. Or are they really focused on their mission? I'll talk about that in just a moment. Are they multiplying rather than just adding? Are they just evangelizing, but they're not discipling? And let me flip that. Are they only discipling? Because it's really fun to disciple people. It really is. I mean, they're hungry for the Word. They want to learn. They're all excited. You're watching them grow. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.